Today on Bold Steps Weekend, Mark Job is talking about rebuilding and the call for generosity from the top down. God is the resource giver, and I simply manage the resources He gives me, but I am not the ultimate owner of what I have in my hands. I am the manager of what I have in my hands. That'll change your mindset. Welcome to Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job. Mark is president of Moody Bible Institute and the senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Today we're picking up our study in Nehemiah chapter 5, where the Israelites are in the process of a huge rebuilding effort, and Nehemiah is in the midst of rebuking church leaders over how they're handling the money. Sound familiar? I'm sure we can all think of a time when financial reform was needed, and that's where Pastor Mark takes us in today's message called The Battle Inside the Wall. By the way, boldstepsweekend.org is where to go if you'd like to hear part one of this message, as well as any past broadcast. That's boldstepsweekend.org. Now, continuing the series, Rebuild Your Life, Your City, Your World, here's Mark Job with today's Bold Steps Weekend. And what was happening here in Nehemiah is these people had gotten away from principles of the Word of God, so therefore, there was not a just society. And even though they were God worshipers, they had fallen into abusive practices that uh, tore down the poor and and, uh, made the rich wealthier and the poor poorer. Now, let me say this. There is no money is neutral. If you have a lot of it, it doesn't make you a bad person or doesn't make you a good person. And if you have little of it, doesn't make you less spiritual or less good or bad. Money is a neutral power. It's our attachment and our perspective of money that makes it either a tool of good or a tool of evil. Do you understand that? Now, if you're poor, you look at the rich and you say, they're the bad people. And if you're rich, you look at the poor and say, they're the lazy people. So, The thing is that your spirituality, your goodness or badness has nothing to do with your money. The root of all evil is not money. The root of all evil is the love of money. Uh, Some people misquote that scripture. The root of all evil is money. No, 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 no. We all need money to survive. Money's like electricity. It's a neutral power and it can be used for good to turn on your lights and to uh, power up your Uh, washer machine, but if it's not channeled the right way, it can electrocute you as well. And so you you need to learn how to manage money in a way that's in accordance with the principles of the Word of God so that it can, so that we can establish an equitable, just society, and it starts with the house of God. So here's what happened here. The second principle I want to give you is based off of what it says in verse 6. It says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, Nehemiah says, I was very angry. Hey, by the way, a side note here. Do you realize that it's okay to become angry sometimes? Do you realize that? Do you realize that anger is not a sin, it's an emotion? And that even God gets angry? In fact, sometimes it's just wrong if you don't get angry. Sometimes we need to be, we need to be angry about things. There are certain things that just ticks God off. 
fact, do you remember Jesus when he went into the temple? And he saw the money changers in the temple. And here you have the picture of Jesus, and he's flipping over tables, and he's got a whip in his hand, and he's lashing the whip and driving the animals out, changes all over, and this, yes, is meek Jesus. So, Pastor, that kind of concerns me. <laughs> well, it concerns you because some of you were raised in a tradition where you were told to pray to baby Jesus. Some of you from the Hispanic culture, I hear people say, Jesucito, el niño Jesús. And so you say, go, go pray to baby Jesus. Hey, baby Jesus grew up. You're not praying to some cuddly little, go, 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 go. That, that's, not, that's not the Jesus I pray to. You want to see the picture of Jesus? Read Revelation. There's a sword out of his mouth. He comes with justice and power and might and authority and reign. He's a, he's a powerful, reigning Jesus with grace, full of grace and full of mercy and love, but justice and power and authority. That's the Jesus of the New Testament. Yeah, that's the Jesus that you'll see. And so Jesus flipped over the tables. Why? You say, well, because they were selling things in the worship. No, no, no. It wasn't about selling things around the house of God. It was about extortion of worshipers. Because what was happening with the money changers, people would travel for miles and miles and miles to offer sacrifices at the temple, at the Jerusalem temple. What these uh, merchants would do is in order to offer sacrifice, you had to offer a lamb or you had to offer a dove. Uh, you had to offer an animal sacrifice. So the outer court of the temple was almost like a farmland. There was, there was goats and, and sheep and doves. And, and, and what they would do is, is travelers would come from miles and miles around and if a lamb was supposed to normally went on the market for $50, they would charge these pilgrims $100. They were doubling the price. They were taking advantage of pilgrims that were traveling a long way, and they were making a profit off of worshipers, and it just ticked Jesus off. My house will be held, called a house of prayer, not a house of extortion. Purify this house. Clean the temple out. And Jesus became angry over it. There's things in this society that should make us angry. There's things that should cause our blood to boil. And once in a while, I see Christians getting mad at the wrong things. It's like, why are you mad about that? I mean, get mad about something real, please. Get mad about an issue that boils the heart of God. Well, Pastor, I just want to write because I thought the music was too loud. I was really not sure that's really angry about that in the house of God. And, and you have drums and electric guitar, and I just don't know if that's even godly. And the world is coming into the church. Whoa, slow down. You, you want to get revved up about something? Get revved up about child abuse. Get revved up about immigrants that are being taken advantage of and extortion is happening against them. Get revved up about a woman who's being beaten by some conniving boyfriend 
that's taking sexual advantage of her and financial advantage of her. Hey, get revved up about teenagers that have uh, AIDS because their homes are such a mess. Get revved up about injustice that's happening in people's homes. Get mad about something that really matters, please. Amen? Hey, I hate... I think we should get mad about things. I think we should get angry about things. Martin Luther, the reformer, said, hey, I don't do, get anything done until I get angry. There's things that we should get angry about. But let's choose what we spend our anger on for things that are close to the heart of God. So I love that Nehemiah got angry. Godly man, called of God, I heard the outcry, and I was very angry. So what did he do? He said, I pondered them in my mind, and then I accused the nobles and the officials, and I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and I said, as far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find Nothing to say. Nehemiah comes and says, wait a second. 140 years ago, they invaded Jerusalem, took us as slaves. Now we're finally free, and you're enslaving us again, but now it's brother against brother enslaving each other? What is up with that? You know, a modern-day equivalent would be, let's say a young girl is 21 years old and She made a lot of bad decisions, so she hooks up with a guy that's a user and abuser. She's financially dependent on him, has a kid or two, doesn't feel like she can move out because she'll lose the place to stay. He's kept her the place where he wants her, right in this place of need where she can't do anything, and he sexually uses her. Financially, she's dependent upon him, finally comes to church, gets her act together, comes to Christ, Builds the courage to say, I'm going to leave you, moves out. The people in the church help her to get an apartment. Finally, she's settled in. She has to learn to get a job, and she goes to home group. And then in the home group, she meets a guy. This time, he's a Christian guy. The Christian guy says, you know what? I have a, I have a, I have a little room in my back apartment. You know, hey, you could stay there. Don't tell Pastor Mark, though, about it. You know, you You can stay back in the apartment, you know, nothing's there. And then suddenly he gets involved with her, and the same thing happens. Now, he's sexually using her, she's financially dependent, and it would be the same thing. But now, now she she was in slavery in the world, and now she's slavery in the church, but it's even worse because it's someone that claims to be a Christian. Nehemiah's saying, that's what's happening here. We finally liberated you from slavery, and now in the house of God, the very same thing is happening that we thought we set you free from. What's going on? What's going on is that the people of God, because they hadn't sanctified their values and their attitude, they were beginning to practice the cultures of the society around them. You understand the, the concept? And that's what happens. When, when our worship declines, we begin to take on the practices of the cultures around us. And God needs to sanctify the church. Here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that Nehemiah rebuked the church first. He got everybody aside. He said, let's all talk now. They all sat down. And he rebuked them. Now, these are the people of power, the people of money. These were the leaders that he's rebuking. And, he, and basically, two things happen among them. <clears throat> One, 
a change of heart. So he, he, he says this. Notice what he says in verse 9. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of the Gentile enemies? In other words, shouldn't you be thinking about not what's prospering you economically more, but shouldn't you be thinking about managing your finances according to ethics and morality and some values that are kingdom-driven rather than economy-driven? There's something greater than just what makes you the greatest buck, and it's the morality and the ethics of it and the fear of God. And he says to them, verse 10, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields and their vineyards and their olive groves and their houses and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth part of money, grain, new wine, and oil. He says, I, get, I want you to give them all of their property back and their kids back, and I want you to give them all the interest back that you're trying to take from them. Wow, that's pretty heavy. The most amazing thing, they did it. <laughs> Businessmen giving property back. Why? Because they started to become convicted by kingdom values. Now, you know when God is at work, when people start getting kingdom values about their money. When you shift your mentality to I am a steward, a manager of the resources that God gives me rather than an owner that can do whatever he wants with what he possesses, then you will begin to operate with your finances in a whole different way. Because you'll realize God is the resource giver and I simply manage the resources he gives me but I am not the ultimate owner of what, I, of what I have in my hands. I am the manager of what I have in my hands. That'll change your mindset. And you usually say, well, how do we begin to practice that? Well, if you've been around New Life for a while, I've been teaching you a real simple formula for the last few years, and I hope someone's got it. Oh, Lord, help me. Someone better have this down. How many of you remember the 10-10-80 principle? Anybody? Whew, thank God a couple of you do. Um, I've been teaching the 10-10-80 principle for several years. I teach a simple principle because I want you to understand this principle. And it's not the solve all your problem principle, but it'll give you a good pattern to live by. The 10-10-80 simply says this. Give 10, save 10, live on 80. Real simple. If you haven't said it in a while, say it with me. Give 10, save 10, live on 80. I am convinced that if you could begin to practice that principle, that that simple little principle would solve 90% of your financial ailments. 90%. doesn't solve all of them, but it'll solve 90% of them. In fact, I believe so much in this principle that I, I carry it around with my wallet everywhere I go. See, do you see that? It's sticking out right there, the blue. 10, 10, 80. Every time I open my wallet to spend my money, I, I see, okay, 10, 10, 80. Give 10, save 10, live on 80. I just want to be reminded because it's easy, it's easy to get off track and think, well, this is my money. No, it's God's money. I'm a steward of it, so I'm reminded 10, 10, 80. I give my wife two or three of them. Yeah, I want her to remember this too. Every time she goes to the store, remember 10, 10, 80. 
you know, 10, 10, 80. And basically what 10, 10, 80 means that I need to give, I need to save, and I need to live. When I, when I first jumped into this principle, I have to admit to you, it was like mega hard to practice. When I first started uh, giving my tithe, um, my first real job, and I started giving my tithe, started learning to do that. One of the hardest parts, my wife and I decided when we were first married that we would, that we would give 10%. Now, I was making $8,000 a year. That was my total salary package. You said, well, where were you working? <laughs> At the church. Um, and... and it was just, you know, a real small group, and we were real, real little at the time, and just kind of getting started, and so, but, but we determined we tied. Now, it was really, we were asking, how, we, how are we going to afford to do this? H- how can we afford to give? And here's the thing, that when I talk to this principle about people that have never heard about giving, it really strikes me. In fact, some of you are already doing the math in your head. Oh, are you crazy? Tithe 10%. Here's the thing. I I want you to hear me well. If you are not giving of your income, I want you to hear me well. If you are not giving to people and things and the house of God and people that are needier than you, then you are becoming a selfish, materialistic, indebted, self-centered, egocentric individual that cannot flow in the full blessing of God. Because if you spend everything you get on you, ultimately, you will become the center of, you, of your universe. If everything you spend is on you, there's something about giving that frees us up. There's something about giving outside of ourselves that's liberating. And listen, and that makes room for God to give more to us. The Bible says that Nehemiah confronted them about their wrong financial practices and that they changed their heart or they repented and then he told them to bring restitution. So they started fixing what was wrong. Can I just pause there a moment and say, sometimes God calls us to restitution. Just a thought. Now don't go on a witch hunt and say, well, when I was three, I think I robbed some bubble gum from this store and i got to try to find this person to get that piece of bubblegum back to them. Well, no, you don't go on a witch hunt and feel all guilty. But if God brings things to your mind about restitution, it very well could be that in order to start making things right economically in your life, that you need to start giving things back, making restitution. I, I think I told you a while back, I was in a, in a store, uh, you know, and, and um, in, in a real big hurry and... And the lady gave me $2 more than what I needed. And she had taken a lot of time, and I, I realized it on the way out, and I just said, you know, I'm, I'm running late, I'm busy, I just kind of took off. And I thought, $2, you know how many times they've overcharged me $2 when I have I mean, $2, they've charged me, every time I don't catch them, they're charging me over. So I just left it, but I, you know, I couldn't get rid of it. It's like, you know, you just stole $2. Like $2, not my, worth my time to go there, talk to a manager, try to figure out, explain everything. I don't want to mess with it. But have you ever like, had a conviction you couldn't let go of? $2. 
And I wouldn't think about it a lot, but I'd drive by the road with $2, man, $2. And I felt like the Spirit of God was saying, you know what? I am not, you need to give those $2 back. So finally, I went back like two weeks later and I said, excuse me, can I speak to a manager? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think you overcharged me two, I, I think you gave me $2. Actually, would you have a receipt? No, don't have a receipt. You gave me $2. Oh, well, sir, I'm not, just here, could you take these $2, please? Just take it. I don't want to explain, just take my $2. Whew, and I walked out of that place saying, yes, Jesus, I feel so good about that. $2, done, dealt with. Now I feel like I'm walking the blessing of God, not worry about those $2. But, you know, deal with whatever God is putting on your conscience. You need to deal with it and make it right. And lastly, let me give you the last point here. Rebuilding calls for justice and generosity to flow through the people of God from the leaders on down. From the leaders on down. Notice what it says, verse 12. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them we will do as you say. Nehemiah was a smart businessman, though. He said, okay, great. Bring the priest. Take an oath. Sign the contract. It says, and they summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. And then Nehemiah said, and if you don't do it, look. He, he put something in his, uh, some crumbs or something in his garment, and then he shook it out. He said, if you don't follow through, God's going to shake you out. Just like my robes have been shaken out, that's how it's going to, God's going to shake you out. Follow through on your commitment. You don't follow through, you're going to experience being shaken out of the blessing of God. And so the nobles went forward. Remember, if I want the blessing of God, if I don't want to be shaken out, then I need to follow through in justice in my commitment that I've made. And then Nehemiah went on to explain how he didn't take advantage of the poor, how although he could have taxed them for the food that he was eating, and although he could have bought land when it was dirt poor and then made a killing after, after the value of the property went up, because he felt like it was this people's land and he'd be taking advantage of them, he chose not to do so. And then he ends up this passage with this simple prayer, God, I love this. And he ends up, verse 19, so God... Remember me with favor, oh my God, for all I have done for these people. He was saying, God, I'm not going to take advantage of them. And here's what I say. By the way, I think that leaders, from spiritual leaders to business leaders in the church of God, we need to be setting the example of just, equitable economic practices. In fact, can I say, if you're leading your family and you have kids, you need to be teaching your kids these principles when they're young. My kids get an allowance, not as much allowance as they would like to have, but probably more than they deserve to have. <laughs> they're, they're, they're here today. Um, but I try, to tell them, I try to tell them on a regular basis, I try to teach them to tithe. You need to tithe on this. You know, they're like any employee. They, they, they think if they're going to tithe, they need a raise. But, you know, I try, try to explain to them, no, you tithe on whatever you have, you need to tithe. Real life means you save. You're not helping your kids out by purchasing things they want and not teaching them to save, not teaching them to tithe, and not teaching them to budget. So if you are a leader in the community, a leader in your household, if you're, if you're a business owner, you need to be setting the example of these economic practices that lead to a just system 
an equitable system and a system that honors God. Amen? You're listening to Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job. We're at the end of a message titled The Battle Inside the Wall. If you missed any part of this program, head over to boldstepsweekend.org to listen again. And while you're there, we hope you'll take a moment and request this month's Bold Action Gift. It comes with our thanks for your donation to support the ministry of Bold Steps Weekend. It's a practical book written by Gary Chapman called Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married. This resource is perfect for anyone who's even considering getting married, suggesting topics to think through and talk about with your partner before you say, I do. To send your gift and receive Gary Chapman's book, just give us a call at 866-535-5580 or go to boldstepsweekend.org. And if it's easier, you can send your donation by mail. Address your envelope to Bold Steps Weekend, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. Once again, that's 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. And one final note, if you haven't already connected with us on social media, do that today. You'll find us on most of the major platforms like Facebook and Instagram as Bold Steps Radio. And our growing community would love to see you there. Well, that wraps up our program. We hope you'll join us again next time for a message from Nehemiah chapter 6 that Pastor Mark has titled, Keeping Focused in the Midst of Distraction. I'm sure we all deal with distractions from time to time, and they come in many subtle forms. Mark will help us identify things to watch out for so we stay focused on our primary calling. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to listen again next time to Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps Weekend is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.